This is London Calling. Welcome to another global podcast that is Thought and Leaders. Each week, I scour this planet of ours to talk to people who have had experiences that have changed them. This week, I'm speaking to Julia Morrison. Hello, Julia. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? How has lockdown three been for you? Uh, it's been different. Um, the first lockdown, um, I was able to manage to do my garden and go out because it was nice weather. Um, but I'm feeling that th- this lockdown now is a bit more difficult um, because we're in the winter months as well. And yeah, just trying mm. to keep going and um, homeschooling the kids just now. How's that going? Um, it's all right. <laughs> just trying uh. to get them up. Try to get them up early for school because yeah, that's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> because school is where the in in the kitchen or somewhere. Just whenever they get up, <laughs> it's just like I'm kind of like right, okay, you're there, they're doing it. That's that's the main thing. Um, I try not put too much pressure on the kids um, to do their work. So it's a difficult one. Being a mum is always difficult. It's about parenthood and about being a mum that I'm talking to you today, but it's in a very different kind of a way. Yeah. I want to take you back to when you were in your early 20s. Yeah. You fell pregnant. Mm -hmm. It was going okay until we start approaching week 37. So I was all excited. We planned this pregnancy. Me and my husband, we had just got our own house so we planned to have a baby and when I saw the pregnancy test I was really excited and couldn't wait and I was planning what was the next stage. Um, so through the pregnancy was fine, I was 21 at the time. So the pregnancy was fine, there was a wee bit of issue with Erin's line so basically her weight and different things like that weren't great. Um, she was quite small. So they kept scanning me just to double check that everything was okay. And at 25 weeks, they noticed that she was struggling. So there's like three lines that the baby should be guiding up to. And Erin was below the three lines. So they just kept saying that it was fine. They were just going to keep an eye on me. These are professional people. I took for what they said. I was due a scan on the Monday, but at the weekend I wasn't feeling too great. Um, So my husband was night shift and I stayed at my sister's. I woke up in the morning, I had really bad morning sickness and there was some movement, but not a lot. So I had said to, obviously, my sister that I wasn't feeling great, but my husband came and picked me up and I said to my husband, I wasn't feeling too good. And he said, well, what's going to happen is we'll go to sleep. He said, and we'll wake up and we're going for a scan on the Monday anyway. But I had went for a bath because usually, like my mum kept saying, if you go for a bath or eat ice cream, the baby usually moves quite a lot. So I'd done all that and there wasn't much movement by the Monday morning there was no movement because usually I would wake up during the night with like a wee kick and I just I think I knew deep down inside myself that there was something not just quite right 
So I had said to my husband, he said, right, we're going for the scan. We'll see what they say. We'll tell them what's happened. So just sitting in that room um, waiting to be scanned was just watching everybody, pregnant women smiling. And deep down inside, I just knew that I was going to get dealt bad news. So when I went in and I had just explained that I didn't have much movement, I had morning sickness and she was nice. She was like, just got in the bed, we'll check and we'll see how it goes. And she was checking, but the screen, we couldn't see the screen. So the screen was away from us and she was kept checking and checking. And then she said, I need to go and get in a consultant for a second opinion. And the consultant scanned me and he just said, look, we're really sorry, but we can't find any heartbeat. At that moment, I just felt myself sinking into the bed. I looked at my husband, what's happening here? He didn't know what to say and everybody's just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just couldn't take it in. So they took me in the side room, it's two wee chairs with a phone and they were saying to me, right, you can phone your family. But to me, I was kind of like, what do I say to my family? I don't even know what's happened myself. So how do I explain this that my baby's passed away and I'm not going to bring my baby home? I managed to phone my mum and dad just to explain to them and like just hearing my mum scream in the background, like it was just terrible. And then my midwife who looked after me all through my pregnancy came in and said, what's going to happen is they'll give you a tablet and you'll get sent home for three days for your labour to process. Um, again, I just couldn't take that in. I was like, I'm going home to a house full of baby clothes, a bedroom, because I was 38 weeks and I was just like to her, I can't go home. I want a section. And she was like, you can't have a section because we don't know when the baby's passed away. We left the hospital. But again, we left the hospital out the same way as parents were getting scanned. Parents were coming in, having their babies or they had already had their babies. So you were getting in the same lift as a parent who was taking their baby home. You still had the child in you? Yeah. 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 Erin was still there. They gave me a tablet, so the tablet makes your placenta um, contract. They wanted me to go home and wait for my placenta to contract and come back three days later. You were at home, and in and in you was Erin, mm-hmm. who had passed away. Yeah. Was there support in the family? My mum had come up and stayed with me that night. My mum was very helpful. But I just, the three days I stayed in my bed, I didn't eat. I just didn't know what to do. Yeah. I was kind of, kind of lost and I didn't understand why I was going home with my baby that passed away inside me. I was 22, didn't really know very much and I never heard of anybody losing a baby. So I couldn't really go and ask them for support. So I'm trusting these people who are medical. Um, so I'm taking their word for it, that that's the way it goes. <sighs> So you returned to hospital. Yep. The labour is induced. Erin mm-hmm. was born. Um, they did ask us, did we want to hold her baby? Um, which I said straight away, I, I did. I wanted to see what she looked like. She was only two pounds. Why did nobody pick that up? Because they would have known what size a baby at 38 weeks was. I got one photo to take away with me and a locker here. I was only in hospital a day. A day with the baby. They only kept you there for one day and they sent you away again? The way I seen it was I couldn't have my baby back with me because 
the deterioration of Erin, the colour and that, and I didn't want to remember her like that. Did they offer you any psychological help or no. support or social care or something? Nothing, nothing. I was left with the hospital where I, it was a poly pocket with um, counselling stuff in it. When you have lost a baby, you're not in the right mental state to go through all these leaflets. People bin them, they don't want to look at them. I wasn't ready to look at them. When I did leave the hospital, the only person I seen for one day was my midwife. So she came, the health visitor came to the house and I was in tears and she just said, I'm sorry. Yeah. That, that was it. Your, your husband, what did he do? Go to work? He had to support us. I couldn't go to work. I tried, I went back to my work six weeks later because I thought I was ready and I wasn't. I just wanted to argue with everybody. I was so angry inside. I think because I had a lot of questions and I didn't have answers for them. And I think I was just taking it out on everybody else. The frustration, the anguish, the torment, you must have felt quite isolated. I felt alone. I actually felt so alone. I've never felt it alone in all my life. Mum? My mum was far away, so everybody thought that I was coping okay, so they just went back and done what they had to do with their lives. And I was just in this bubble myself, trying to cope. I did try to go to counselling or uh, support groups, but I just didn't feel that it was for me. You, you were talking to your husband. He could see that you were struggling. And so the only thing that occurred to him and yourself was maybe, you know, give yourself a bit of respite by getting away yeah. somewhere for a couple of yeah. weeks. Yeah, so my husband knew I was struggling, so he was like, right, why don't we go on holiday, have that break away from everybody, just to think on what step to do next. We booked a holiday, we went away, and it was good because it was just me and him, and nobody knew our situation. So it felt that we could just have that time together to spend and talk about it. Because obviously the husbands get left out as well because they're trying to keep the wife together, but they're struggling and they maybe not want to speak and open up sometimes we can't talk because we're just so in, in, in the midst of the whole thing luckily and thankfully in your case at least you had a partner yeah. a husband i'm going to call it partner actually even though he's your husband but yeah i'm talking about partner in terms of an emotional partner that you could share this with and he could share with you of course because he was also going through all this grief so yeah. eventually you come home yeah when I came home, we decided we were on holiday that we were going to try for another child. A lot of people ask questions like, should I have another child or whatever? But at the end of the day, when it's the right decision, there's no right decision. He went to try for another child. But we obviously, I tried for another child and I felt really? a year later. Yeah. Yeah. So and I it was felt okay? Pregnant. Yeah, it was a bit scary. It was scary in case it happened again. But obviously, we had the post-mortem. Um, results for Erin when she died and it was a blood clot in her placenta uh -huh. and that had stopped her from growing so what they decided was that they were going to give me an aspirin to help my blood thin my blood out I was scanned constantly to make sure that everything was okay and if I had any concerns I was always like of course there to say look I'm not happy about it and I think that's what we need to say if somebody's not happy about something we need to speak about it and say that we're not happy 
it's so easy to get overwhelmed by all these authorities and you know doctors and this one and that one and inside yeah. yourself I guess there's yeah. guilt there's this there's that yeah you try and blame yourself because you think what have I done wrong did I eat something wrong did I exercise wrong did I do this wrong yeah, yeah. Um, a parent always blames herself yeah, we, do. we do we do but sometimes there's no no blame it's just something that's happened at this point listeners may be thinking okay it's a terribly sad story but you know that's the end of the story It was a scandal that shocked Scotland's capital. Edinburgh's council-run Morton Hall crematorium had for years been denying grieving parents the ashes of their dead babies. Hundreds of families now wait to see if their child's remains were buried without their knowledge. Yeah, so I was sitting and watching the telly one night and it came on about the Morton Hall that they were uh, scattering babies' ashes without permission. They were actually putting babies and adults in together. Uh, to cremate them and I just said to my husband because when Erin was cremated I did ask for ashes and they told me that she was too small that not to expect anything and when this came out I looked at my husband and I said I think this may be what's happened to Erin's it was a girl who I was friendly and she was on my Facebook page and she had put it up as well and I just contacted her saying listen and she said just go to the solicitors that was dealing with it at the time so I'd contacted the solicitors and they told us to come along there was had about 10 parents there they were just saying that they were going to investigate it so it was a big lawyer from Edinburgh who took it over took the case over it took three years and we were sent to a psychologist they thought it wouldn't affect us they had us interviewed with CID for four hours each and then through the investigation they found Erin's ashes sitting in a funeral director's Why were the CID involved with this? Just to make sure there wasn't anything that was happening during the funeral because the way I seen it was that how do I know that Erin was in the coffin if they're saying to me they didn't have ashes and now they've turned around and said to me they've got ashes and I'm kind of like this doesn't make sense it doesn't doesn't add up. When they said they weren't ashes, what did they say that they did with Aaron then? They said there wasn't any ashes because Aaron was too small. But through the investigation, a baby under 17 weeks is obviously still got ashes. Through the CID investigation, which took about three years, didn't it? Yep, yep, three years. So you had to, as a mum and your husband as your partner, had to go through all this investigation, not knowing what's going on, and I, I guess reliving things again for three years. Yep. And then yep. they find that the ashes were sitting in the funeral parlour's cupboard. Yep, yep. Are you telling me that they didn't know that those ashes belonged to your child? The same that they didn't realise that they were sitting there. Really? Yeah, but... At the end of the day, do you not check? Like, surely there must be loads of ashes. There must be information that carries with these ashes to say, OK, this is what's going to happen. We need to phone. And yeah, absolutely. I, I just couldn't believe it. 
I actually couldn't believe what was happening. Horrendous. Yeah. I'm wondering now mm-hmm. how many urns belonging to brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, daughters, sons, that people don't even know who they belong to. Totally, totally reckless. If the baby's going for a postmortem, there's actually like a letter and it tells who the baby is, the date of birth and the size and things like that. But when they gave me Erin's ashes, they had lost all the paperwork. I had these ashes and I couldn't believe that they were Erin's. I mean, this is... Was it? Yeah. Did you? Yes. It must have been like it must have been like another loss again. No. Yeah, yeah. It was like grieving all over again. It was like this is not real. This is uh, how can anybody do this? Like, it's bad enough going through a loss, but then to a couple of years later to turn around and say sorry, but here's your daughter been sitting in the funerals shelf for all these years, and we've never really took the time to check them. It, it destroyed me for a while. I just couldn't because I've got obviously got three other children so I had to keep strong for them yeah, you have to keep going for them I, I had to sit down and explain to my children what's happened you don't know what to say to them because you don't know yourself so you're sitting there crying and they're like what are you crying for and you're like I don't know like it was just hard it's really hard to explain to your kids what's going on it is hard to make sense of anything yeah yeah. What did you do with the ashes? Did you where, where did you place them? In I've got the ashes in the house. I'm kind of scared to scatter them or put them anywhere because I still got that kind of feeling. I don't know if they are Erin's ashes or if they're somebody else's, and I scatter them. So even now you're not sure. No, because you just don't trust people anymore. They've let me down so far for the beginning. So how can I trust what they say now? But. It's hard. It's hard to let go because I'm thinking, if I let go and scatter them, and they're not errands, and I've scattered somebody else's baby's ashes, or if they are errands, then I don't want to let them go. I've just got to try and move forward. I can't let that destroy me. So many of us do get destroyed by these awful sorts of things. There's yep. still more to this story. Your mother-in-law suggested that you do something that would, by helping others, may help yourself. That's right. Um, so my mother-in-law kept saying to me, why don't you do a charity? Why don't you help others and keep Erin's name alive? And she said, you're really good at helping others because I was I, I was there for her. I was her carer. Um, so she was like, why don't you help others? And I was like, right, okay, what can I do? But me and my husband were sitting one night and we were just looking up aftercare support um, after a loss and there was nothing, nothing at all. There was counselling, but then again, not everybody's for counselling, but there wasn't options for people. So we kind of said, what really helped us when we were in this situation and going away, did really help us. I think it actually saved us. It saved our marriage and it saved us. I think if we didn't have that, then I don't know what would have happened. So we decided to do a retreat. So send people on holidays. People don't have money, especially when you've lost a child. You're off work. Um, you're trying to survive yourself. Your mental state's not great. So we decided that we would start up two days retreat away. Where are they? There's one in uh, Castle Douglas. That's the one we use mainly based in Glasgow. It's really nice. 
The other one's an air, and that is run by Whole Seasons. It's a cottage and they have a hot tub at the back and it's got your kitchen and your bedrooms and that. So it's basically just like a, a house with your living room. Uh-huh. The other one is in Edinburgh. We're trying to get them all over so that people don't need to travel far as well. It's a two-day retreat. Collect yourself and, and if you've got a partner, help them collect themselves as well. And you offer counselling and things like that there? Yeah, counselling and trauma therapy. Who conducts the counselling and the trauma therapy? Parents contact myself or anybody in the committee and we have an office and they're invited into the office or they can have a chat over the phone or Zoom. And basically we just have a chat about their child, ask them how they're doing, how they're coping, what do they feel that they need support-wise. Just basically get to know them and then we make the decision between the two of us um, what they want to do, either that if that's counselling or trauma therapy or maybe just getting time away if they've already done counselling somewhere else. So it's about communication. It's about keeping in touch with people. Yeah, but how much can you practically achieve in just two days? Well, you can because it's having that time away as a family. It's We had about a week, but if I could... It'd be great to have a week, but again, it's down to funding. Do you think that this should be something that the government should be doing these sorts of things rather than having to rely on kind, good-hearted people like yourselves? The government going about mental health, but it starts from either losing a child or being abused or stuff that's happening in the family. So we need to deal with the issues as well, and I think the government need to help us. We can only do so much. Aftercare's lacking with um, people losing their child. They need that support afterwards. It could be a year down the line. They need that support. People are meant to be very stoic. They got on with it after the uh, last war. It, it's not as easy as that, is it? You can get days when you kind of just drop. You kind of go over it. It's your child, you've planned that, you've had, like, you're going to have excitement and then for all that to be taken away from you. Um, grief hasn't got a cut-off date that you go, oh, well, I've been grieving a year now, it's time to move on. That's not the case. We started off by talking about lockdown and COVID. What's the situation now? The partners are only allowed in to certain scans. Um, they're only allowed in for when the mother goes in labour and then I think they've only got three hours um, time limit. They only get to see the child for three hours. So again, that's a lot of pressure on uh, first-time mums, especially if they've had sections and they're struggling. And I know that the staff are there, but the staff are unrun as well. So Sometimes we do need a partner there because when they're in all day, your partner, it's great for just to say, listen, do you want to feed the baby? or So stuff like that as well. But we've also got um, parents getting in and getting scanned and helping their babies passed away on their own. I had one parent who I helped during COVID and she had a miscarriage and she contacted me for support. And I had just mentioned, did you have a funeral? And she was like, no, what do you mean? And I said, well, you can have a funeral for your baby. And she was like, that's what I want to do. So I phoned the hospital and I tried to find the baby because every baby's got a CAI number. So they just look it up and it tells you where the baby is. So they managed to find the baby and brought it back to the hospital. And then I arranged the funeral directors to go and pick the baby up. They took the baby to the funeral directors and I went up with the mum to dress the baby, be there to support her. It's bad enough to lose a baby, but then to have that you're doing this during COVID and having no support at all, it's just terrible. 
there are so many single mums as well who I guess for them the um the uh, the guilt the anguish is even more intense yeah because they don't have that support a lot of counselling's not on just now they are really struggling to have that support and it's nice just for us to be there to say listen we're here to talk to you if you need support we have a charity in England so if we can't help up here then we transfer them down there and they're called Charlie's Angels how oh, right <laughs> they're based down there they provide counselling Usually on these podcasts, the guests get excited towards the end of the podcast because it means we can promote a um, a helpline or a website or whatever it might be. I don't want anyone to ever have to go through this, to have to ring this number. The fact is you are offering this amazing service and it is there if people need it. So how do they get in touch with you? Yep. So it's Baby Loss Retreat on Facebook. So if you go on there, you can just click on the messages and send a message to us and we'll reply, one of our staff. Um, also, you can get us on our website at www.babylossretreat.org.uk. If you go on there, it'll give you all the information, um, how to apply to us. And um, we also have a phone number and that is 07868 557343 and you can get us on that as well. We also have Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter um, if you want to contact us through that way. So we've got a variety of ways that you can contact us and you can also email us at babylossretreat.org.com. Well, you're doing a magnificent job and I understand you're doing a pretty amazing job as a mum with the lockdown and teaching the kids. <laughs> I hope the kids are teaching me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone out there, if you can help, I urge you, please get in touch. It's a fantastic cause. Uh, these are fantastic people. I wish you, I wish your kids well. I wish your husband well. Yeah. Thank you. And I hope you're well as well and I just want to thank everybody who's listening and if you really need the support please don't sit there and suffer on your own give us a call exactly that's the key thing everyone we may feel that we are in isolation but I tell you what we're not alone in isolation we are together in isolation just a little bit of help can go a long way and it's there waiting for you until next time everyone god bless take care of yourselves Count your blessings. Speak to you soon. Baby mine, don't you cry. Baby mine, dry your eyes. Rest your head close to my heart, never to part, baby of mine. Thought and Leaders is a goodbye production. If you're looking for award-winning content for your brand or want to chat about the show, you can either email reinventatme.com, that's reinventatme.com, or why not visit us at www.thoughtandleaders.com, that's thoughtandleaders.com. Baby of mine.